welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. In this podcast, we attempt to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And this week, Gareth, it's another Influencers episode. I've got to say, I really enjoy doing these, and this is a terrible admission. I went back and listened to the Charles de Gaulle one, the lump one we did last time, two-parter, and it's a rip-roaring story. And that probably is a bad thing for me to say, as I, in a sense, read the story out, but I think it was really good. Maybe that's an advert. If you haven't heard the previous influencers, please do go back and listen to them. My wife was telling me only last week that she listened to the Dolly Parton one, and much to her surprise, she really enjoyed it and learned stuff. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. The, the Charles de Gaulle one, the story in itself, I think I said during the podcast, you know, could simply his military exploits in the First World War are enough for a podcast and a book. But then to introduce Henri Giraud, and then his military exploits, and all of the boys' own stories of getting captured and escaping those stories in themselves are fascinating insights into characters and then to add on top of it all of the stuff that they then go on to achieve i think there's phenomenal. a there's a theme here as well which is there's the the true acts of these people and the the, the leadership styles and their approaches and then there's like this parallel thing of the story of it. Yeah. And it weaves in and out, which is which becomes more important, the story or the truth. And are we learning about their style or are we learning about how they want us to talk about their style? And I found that really interesting. Yeah, there is always that element of, especially with some of the influencers who are historical figures, but even with Dolly Parton, her story is so interwoven with who she is and the character and and therefore who she is as a leader and an influencer, it, they're inextricably linked. And it's interesting that most of the influencers we have have a story, an early life that either shapes them in their future life or creates little glimpses of what they might become. And of course, we, we mentioned quite often when we do these things about the survivor bias and, and trying to avoid trying to work out what the typecast is because what we're obviously not doing is proving the negative of all the people that but there's something in there which says the greatest or most influential leaders and i think you can even apply this in the day-to-day -day, are the people you want to tell stories about or the people other people tell stories i, about. I think and that's there's a, fair there's and a I... power of something of power about that yeah and it and it, it's about this inspirational idea. but anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves this week we're going to, I, I was going to say for the first time, but you reminded me just before we started the second time, we're going to pick someone who's alive. And this is a really... Dolly Parton is very much alive. Dolly Parton is very much alive. Uh, I believe the rest of them very much dead. Elon Musk is who we're going to be talking about today. And I, even before we sort of sit down and do the research, it's fascinating to sort of think about how you think about them or what how are you going to sort of approach this? And I have to say, Elon Musk is one of those characters where I don't know whether I like him or don't like him. Well, we've talked about him a couple of times on the podcast before as somebody that I think, yeah, we, we're not sure. Done great things, potentially 
got some bad attitudes, bad characteristics, bad traits, and we're a little bit unsure. And I think that's why we decided to yeah. dive into well, this and, one. And, and, you know, we did Steve Jobs very early. I almost think that he's a little bit like Steve Jobs, only more extreme. But we'll come to that. We'll come to that. So let, let's start by maybe setting the scene because we live in a day-to-day world where we, you know, we read about the tweet he did last week or, and then next week there'll be something else. Let, let's sort of zoom out a little bit. The first thing that is really important for me to say, because I, I, I want to talk about some of the bad things, but the first thing before I do any of that is through many lenses, whatever we might say, whatever I might think, he is arguably staggeringly successful. There are lots of different measures of this, but let's be really clear. If I was half as successful as this man, I'd be doing just fine. Thank you. And it turns out he's the same age as me. So, you know, oh, really? obviously I'm not <laughs> pulling my weight here and doing as much, but let, let's just sort of see where he is at the moment. And whenever you see him, he's, he's, he's very rarely the sharp dressed man. He's a slightly shabby middle-aged man often. As of December the 23rd, allegedly he was worth $232 billion. $232 billion. Isn't that quite a lot of money? He he is worth slightly more than the GDP of Kazakhstan, uh, which allegedly is $225 billion, which makes him the 53rd richest country in the world. Well, I mean, it, yeah. Bad, bad example, but you know what I mean. It's an annual GDP versus a... Agreed. A gross value. But for one man to own more than the GDP of a country. And in fact, Kazakhstan is a relatively rich country. So he's rich. So he's rich. He's rich. (laughs) He's also probably going to take humans to Mars. In his lifetime? Probably. Wow. Okay. And I I would say that because I think that the way the technology has advanced, nobody would have put money on him creating reusable rockets that are used 20 times a, a year. And and even now, I think people would say he's never going to land the uh, the larger rocket on the moon. I bet that will happen in the next five years. And don't get me wrong, it will happen later than he says. Yeah. But I think it's fair in his lifetime. So he's going to put humans on Mars. And, and let's be clear, we know that it's not him and it won't be SpaceX, it will be a collaboration. But importantly, the reason it will happen will be because fundamentally... It was him that reshaped the way that we perceive there's, space, there's a space brilliant, exploration. There's a brilliant SpaceX quote I've got later on from their COO, CEO, I can't remember which is, but I'll, when we'll get to that, which talks about what he does. And it is pretty much, I demand we go to Mars. And then people go, oh, how do we do that? Let's work that out. So we, that's really good. So, you know, th- at this point, you could stop and say, this is a rich influence who's going to take people to Mars. We haven't even scratched the surface. He has made electric cars mainstream and affordable. Yes. And actually, luxury. And these are cars that are faster and to some degree even more desirable than supercars. Interestingly, this has changed a little bit, but Tesla at one point, everyone believed had a value of a trillion dollars and at that point, it became the world's ninth most valuable company. And think about it. Tesla's been around for not that long. Yeah. And of course, it, it was the most profitable of all the automobile companies. So that... Just... Well, not only is it 
not been around that long, but also arguably dealing in a commodity that is yet to be fully proven. Correct, but growing still at a rapid rate. Very, very, yeah. I mean, and again, a bit like the space travel thing, and we'll get onto this, I'm sure. He has moved the Overton window completely to such a degree that we talk about space travel, we talk about electric cars in a completely different way. Talk about the Overton. I've not heard the phrase Overton window before. The Overton window is, Overton was a political scientist. The Overton window is this idea that if you shift the dial on the the conversation to the extremes and you pull the conversation so a little detour into sort of political science here for example with what we're seeing in uk politics at the moment the whole discussion about nigel farage being still a key figure in our political discourse is because it was Nigel Farage who shifted the Overton window to the right to the right to make conversations around what we do about immigration a central theme where previously it was something that more on the edge you didn't talk about because it was a fringe thing. And so the Overton window in this case is we used to talk about space travel as being something that only not even nation state superpowers do. And now it's the sort of thing that startup companies are doing routinely. I was talking to you the other night about the fact that I saw some of the SpaceX satellites being launched, 50-something satellites, I think it was, one after another, streaking across the sky. And whilst that was an interesting thing to look at, it's it not unusual. quite normal. Yeah. It, yeah. So we have to make this episode called How Elon Musk Bought the Overton Window. <laughs> but I think but I think it's such a really good point. So taking people to Mars, there's a film in that. Transforming electrical transportation. Yeah. There's a film in that. But he's also got his fingers on the AI explosion and is the co-founder, which we often forget, of one of the hottest AI companies right now, OpenAI. He was yeah. co-founder of OpenAI. Yeah. So chat GPT, those of you who know, you go there and ask it a question and it'll answer as if it's a human being almost. He was the co-founder of that. He also has another company called Neuralink, which is interaction of human mechanical AI. So people putting implants, mechanical implants. Then you sort of you sort of look at not just the companies he's run, but the things he's done. A man who smoked dope live on a podcast with Joe Rogan in yes. 2018. Yeah. Uh, a man who took a vote on Twitter about whether he should buy the company, yeah. bought it for $44 billion, and today it's worth approximately $19 billion, arguably losing 50% of its value to do it. A man who likewise is arguably, and our lawyers have invited us to use the word arguably a lot. A lot in this episode. Um, arguably is enabling anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists on Twitter through a lens, well-meaning or otherwise, of freedom of speech. That's yep. interesting. And just, just to be clear what I mean by that, um, just recently there was a theory that he promulgated about a mass shooting in Texas that was not correct. Uh, he talks about George Soros wanting to erode, quote, erode the very fabric of civilization. So some, some this isn't sort of sensational reporting. There is consistent 
unusual behavior from someone you wouldn't think would do that. Yeah, and, and of course, in a similar vein, the massive U-turns on the availability and use of Starlink by the Ukrainians, yeah. it's all linked. It's all. It's a really interesting insight. But I think as a wider point, it, from what we've already talked about and what we're going to talk about for the, the rest of this episode, yeah, it, it, it would be very, very difficult to portray Elon Musk as a stupid man. He is a highly, highly intellectual, high-functioning individual, and yet seems to be being dragged into these conspiracy theories, these sort of weird enclaves of the internet where people, these echo chambers. That's an interesting point, but I think it, it reinforces the point that actually this misinformation problem, this thing that we're facing, isn't a problem for the stupid and naive. Agreed. This is a problem that anybody, including somebody who's worth $232 billion and can single-handedly change the way that humanity views some fundamental issues, can also fall foul of there's a, there's echo a, chambers. There's another thing in there, which, you know, we... we Sometimes we joke about these things, but there's a very serious lesson in here for us, which again, and just to remind everyone, we don't talk about these influencers as these are unique people who could never be, but the, the behaviours they exhibit might be exaggerated behaviours, but these are behaviours we see all around us in different ways. Yeah. So a couple of episodes ago, we, I think, quite successfully dabbled in the world of quantum physics. <laughs> um, and we talked about how things when they are observed change. I think there's a fascinating question that when when Elon Musk observes how he is interacting with the world, has that also changed him? Different way of saying this, and I'm stealing a line from later on, which is, does he like the smell of his own farts? Does he start to think, I am so brilliant, Yeah. if I believe something to be true, or I choose to believe it to be true, by definition, it must be true. And likewise, is he now surrounded by people who are very, very keen to tell him how great he is? And has that had an impact? Now, I don't know. And hopefully there'll be someone listening who knows Elon better than us as I heard stories. Is he behaving differently than when he did earlier? Anyway, we haven't even got past the introduction. I love this, both that it is ridiculous, but also, of course, a sign of influencer. He is... Apparently, one of the real-life inspirations for Tony Stark, the character in The Avengers yep. and Iron Man, and with no irony at all, appears in a cameo in Iron Man 2. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's like yeah. life eats art. The last thing for me was, I think it's really hard to say whether he's going to be a success or not because he hasn't finished. He, he could end in a horrible mess, losing all his companies in five years' time, or he could go on to create five yeah, more new companies. I, I feel like we're probably going to get into this at some point in this episode, which is it depends how you define success. That will be a big it, thing. It's certainly, it's certainly inevitable now that he will go down in history as infamous, one of the key individuals that changed the 21st century. I, in fact, I would argue from what we see today he's probably up there as one of the first or second people. Like, we, yeah. talk, we talk about Tesla or Einstein. I think he's maybe one of those. 
Well, let, let's go back. You'll be pleased to know, unlike other influencers, I'm going to talk about two or three things about early life and education. Yep. And and this was interesting to me as well, where um, the, the, a lot of the other influencers, particularly the military influencers, it's really worthwhile digging into where they've come from because it helps explain how they were shaped. And I think there was lots of variety within their world. You could say, oh, well, they went from A to B to C to D to E, and that's why they ended up at F. I'm not sure that's necessarily quite the same with Elon because Elon Reeve Musk, born in 1971 in Pretoria, South Africa, to a, apparently a well-off family. I think he nearly went to university in South Africa, but he moved to Canada. His mother was Canadian, so he moved to Canada. Not the most brilliant student, but eventually transferred to the University of Pennsylvania and received a bachelor's degree in economics and physics. Okay. That was kind of his background. Yeah. Then he was going to go to Stanford. You, could, I was, I, I, you can tell there's going to be this sort of educational pyramid to the top. Yeah, two days into Stanford, he stopped, co-founded his first business, and that was it. Was I'm, that a coincidence? I think that says who he is. He's a man who doesn't want to hang around. My guess, and there'll be lots of these here because I don't know Mr. Mark personally, my guess is he just wanted to go build things and yeah. do things. This is a man who isn't a uh, isn't about the theory he is about the go do it yeah and so i would imagine he turned up his brother said i've had this idea for a company or he said he had an idea for a company they said just go do it yeah so i thought that was interesting okay now business history and we've we've touched this a little bit in the intro and this struck me as well i i have met some entrepreneurs in the past in fact, I've met lots of people who describe themselves in their business card and LinkedIn as an entrepreneur, which in itself makes me very nervous when people say that. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because the term entrepreneur, to some degree, tends to reflect, I've had lots of new ideas that I've successfully developed. It, I, I don't know whether you're allowed to call yourself an entrepreneur when you've had one idea and that was successful. I, yeah. Maybe I'm being harsh, but lots of people... You can say, wow, look at the business they they, they made. That was incredible. Yep. They made a lot of money. They stuck with the business, then they retired. And, you know, Bill Gates-esque, spend their money wisely with other people. How many people do you know have made five amazingly successful companies? And frankly, in doing so, as we've described, have done things you, you never considered. So out of Stanford, he uh, developed a company called Zip2. And Zip2 was a company, as I said, I think with his brother, which was designed to make city guides for newspapers. So I think he he they had to wrote them and then licensed them to to the newspapers. There were some other services as well, but that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that, and I'm surprised by it because it doesn't seem like a tech. There was a technology aspect element, of it, so it was computer related, okay. and so I think the technology gave them some of the sort of the head start. Right. Okay. But four years later. Acquired for $307 million, I think by Compaq, if I remember rightly. So four years after saying, I don't want to do Stanford, there was a check that arrived for him. Yeah. A part of this $307 million. And he said, OK, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to go and start a thing called PayPal. Oh, look, we'd forgotten that he started PayPal. Yeah. Two years later, PayPal was acquired by eBay, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was, yeah. Do you know how much for? Well, let's, no. let's, let's turn this around. 
What do you get for two years worth of work these I'm days? I'm going to say over a billion. $1.5 billion. Wow. So he got 100 million out of that. Yeah. So this is six years after starting his business career. He's made $100 million with two successful businesses. So what do you think he does? Start another one. I'm going to start up SpaceX with $100 million because I think we should go to Mars. Yeah. That's that is a massive insight into into the working mind of Elon Musk, isn't it? Most people, as you said, that describe themselves as entrepreneurs are are driven by success. They're driven by what's the next thing? How can I leverage my success? Go for something bigger, better. It's going to generate more revenue. It, You're going to get most people before. feel like their baby. Yeah, he he does not SpaceX. care about his babies. SpaceX. Without, you know, pun intended, actually, that's a moonshot company. That's it is not, a moonshot company. Yeah, that is all about uh, his, I, I'm going to say, kind of juvenile, child, childish vision of men need to get to Mars. But I don't mean that in a, no, I know. I, or, a I, or a negative way. How about a, how about a different way? There's something really nice about the fact that he's driven by the, by the results the result of the company and not the potential success or value. Well, I'll, of the I'll go one step further forward, and I'm I'm starting to join a few dots that may be correct or wrong. Generally, I think he wants to do things that benefit humanity. Yeah. Now, so like, I think humanity is going to struggle on Earth. So I think we should go to Mars, not because I want to conquer Mars, not because I want to get there before the Chinese, because humanity needs to go. Yeah. Tesla. I think electric cars are the future and I'm going to make that a success. Yeah. There, there's a, and, and going back to your point about this, for one of a better word, childlike view, which is, and rather than childlike, a very simple, this is romantic. what I believe. Romantic a is romantic a great view. word. I think that's interesting. It's interesting when you were talking about, does he like the smell of his own farts? I, it's not uncommon when people are talking about Elon Musk for the conversation quickly to talk about a messiah complex. And there's a link, isn't there, between thing I'm going to save humanity, I'm going to do the thing that the world needs. And if I'm successful at doing those things, look, at I, I, I'm quite special. I, mm. I don't know. I mean, I think right now we're into entire speculation, but it's Absolutely. not it's not implausible. And as you get closer to it, and, you know, there are going to be people around him and visibly who tell him how amazing he is. I have to believe that is not healthy. How many people are standing next to him today saying that was a stupid thing you did? You shouldn't have done it. That was embarrassing, Elon. You need to knock that off. Yeah. And and as family, as friends in business, you generally get that. So who who manages Elon apart from Elon? Anyway, yeah. let's let's get back to the business. So he's been doing SpaceX and frankly, this idea of going to Mars and in first doing so, inventing the first truly reusable rockets. Yeah. Apparently not interesting enough for him because two years later he starts to invest in this company called Tesla. They do some interesting car things he's heard. I can't remember when, but this was a little bit later. And then he said I think tunnels are cool. The boring company. The boring company. And that is a tunneling company to create. It was tied into the Hyperloop. Yeah. Remember Hyperloop? He did Hyperloop. 
which was sort of tied into the I think we can do super fast transport. And yeah. if you go to Las Vegas, the boring company dug tunnels and you can take Teslas through their tunnels. So interesting, not billion dollar companies by any means, no. but he's involved in them. But I, I think we did an episode where you introduced me to the idea of a, uh, a big, hairy, audacious goal. A lot of this is it's either going to work, and if it works, it's going to be phenomenally successful, or it's not going to work. And actually, the odds are it's not going to work. They seem to, which there's something in there that needs exploring. But I know the Australian government, I don't know whether you've got this in, in your research, but the Australian government were having a problem with power storage. Mm. And over a Twitter conversation, I think, he basically made a promise, a, a promise where he, he said, said I will give you it. gigawatts of storage yes. in three months or something. And, and if I can't, you get it for free. And he did it. And he did it. And and it's those kind of, if you read any business management book, any project management book, it, this, is, this is breaking all the rules. This is not how you behave. And yet there is a compounding success. I, I may, Maybe there's a... I think there's a bit of mystery there, which is it shouldn't work. And he managed to make it work. But we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I uh, think the power of vision is really important. Yes. Yeah, so I, I want to get onto this very quickly, yeah. which is the sort of the, the, the style or the things he does. But last couple of companies we talked about, Zip2, PayPal, SpaceX, Boring Company, Tesla, OpenAI. So OpenAI's mission is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. Yeah. He's also done a lot recently to talk about how we should um, have governance around AI. Neuralink, this is a company that's creating a generalized brain interface to restore autonomy to those with unmet medical needs today and unlock human potential tomorrow. Moonshot, 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 yep. moonshot. I mean, even, you know, you might say, well, hang on, how is PayPal moonshot? There was no simple electronic transfer. Yeah, it was back then. So um, go back to what you said, he did economics, economics and physics yeah. as an undergrad degree. Before PayPal, the economic system was for transferring money, especially transferring money across international borders, was incredibly bureaucratic. It was built on a very um, archaic technical infrastructure and was pretty much sewn up and monopolized by One two or three companies it, it, all in the US. And he broke it. So well, it's, whilst... it's analogous to the mobile phone revolution, which is people used to think, how do we bring communications to Africa? We put lots of telephone poles up and someone went, forget that. We don't need any telephone poles. Yeah. They're all going to get mobile phones. And this was a similar thing. Today, how do I transfer money? I go to the bank, I give them some money, and then they promise to give the money to the other person. No. Yeah. Gonna, I'm going to click on a link and yeah. send them some money. So, so I think PayPal was a moonshot, and I think, I think it, it was probably less sexy than well, space rockets. And well, but cars. I think Musk only cares about interesting things, and I, I, he's only going to do things that seem really hard or that someone has told him he can't do. Also, I mean, we we've we've talked about all these companies. This is going to be really weird because this is another one of these Schrodinger's cat things is both true and false. He is staggeringly focused 
but also staggeringly not focused. <laughs> Distracted if, if, by tiny things. If you went, if you had this on a CV and they weren't these companies, you'd say, this guy doesn't stick around anywhere for that long. I don't yeah. want to hire him. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Anyway, and of course, the final one, Twitter. And won't this be interesting? We'll look back in a couple of years' time and laugh at the naivety of this, but is Twitter a sign that his skill is waning? Or will we look back and say, oh, how foolish we were. We thought losing half the value of the company was a terrible thing. Yeah. That was just before it quadrupled in value. With with Elon, I would not like to predict. So let's let's move on to his leadership style. And this is an excuse for me to, to give a Terry Pratchett quote. As I was reading into Elon, it was obviously useful to help organize my thoughts. But what was really interesting was almost stepping out of myself and looking at the narrative, the story that is told around Elon Musk. And as Terry Pratchett once said, stories are important. People think that stories are shaped by people. In fact, it's the other way around. Stories exist independently of their players. If you know that, the knowledge is power. Stories, great flapping ribbons of space shaped time have been blowing around and uncoiling around the universe since the beginning of the time and they have evolved the weakest have died and the strongest have survived and they have grown fat on the retelling stories twisting and blowing through the darkness what's the point of that i wonder whether we would all, we have to tell stories about people like elon musk and if there wasn't an elon musk we'd make an elon musk up so what I'm trying to say is clearly in himself, he is this amazing character. But as human beings, we are drawn to the story of this. This yeah. is this is almost irresistible. Even if he every month sacrificed 10 people, I think people would say, yeah, but it's Elon Musk. And so the story, I think, is a really critical part of him. And frankly, any leader, perhaps not to exaggerate it. Yeah, we're going to do a whole episode on the, the power of stories and the power of storytelling. That, firstly, I've, I've not heard that quote, and I love it. It's, it's a genuinely wonderful quote in both its meaning and the language used. But I expect nothing less from Terry Pratchett. I, I think you're right. And, and again, we're going to really struggle to untangle the myth from the reality and i don't think we need to you said we might look back and and laugh at the predictions that he's he's really fucked up twitter again i might i might look foolish but i don't i think he has fucked it and the reason is i think everything else he's done he has been writing the story with twitter he has been playing a part in a story that was already written. It's interesting. I think he has become enamoured by his own myth, and that's why he thinks he can change Twitter. Again, this is one person's view. I don't know him personally. I feel slightly nervous in sort of judging him and judging his abilities because he's proved so many people wrong in the past. But I think fundamentally what's different is Everything else has been this end vision, this end goal. And, you know, however it's going to happen, he's going to get there. 
And that's why I do think he's probably, I think you're right, I think he will put people on Mars or humanity will put people on Mars in his lifetime and he will be a massive part of that and will have been a massive part of that. There's no end vision with X at the moment. And he says he's got one, but everything else, he's put that out. Uh, let's... He's put that right at the front and centre of everything he's done. I, 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 think, I think that's an interesting thought. I tell you what, let's come back after the break. Yeah. Let's make our bets around Twitter. Okay. And so now, <laughs> then we people come back and laugh at us. All right. Well, look, we'll see off the break where we'll we'll really dig into the the style and and how he thinks about these things. And let's see if there's some some echoes from what we've talked about in the first half. Uh, welcome back. So we talked about, frankly, it was almost setting the context in terms of what Elon's done and how he got there. Um, you know, richest man in the world, inspiration for a character, and then turns up as a as a, a cameo in a film that was, in effect, about him. And we talked about the different companies. I think the point you'd made just before we finished was the myth of Elon is really tricky to unpick. And I was most it's difficult to know where the myth and the reality of his leadership skills beginning and end. I do think going back to the story thing is the story becomes almost more powerful. We yeah. we want him to be the man who is a genius. And I'm I didn't get a lot of this in the research, but I just get this little edge thing of is he actually the big idea man and the man who runs around shouting something has to be done? as opposed to the man who says, let's think about the problem of landing the rockets. Look, have you thought about putting the flaps here rather than here? And I don't know. I think I mentioned this in a, an episode we did quite early on. I watched a Netflix or whatever it was documentary about SpaceX. And it was specifically about Elon and SpaceX. And I was left genuinely rooting for him and rooting for SpaceX. I left with sort of adoration for this guy who was passionate, who took risks, who was driven, who made the vision clear, but also gave the technical experts and the people who had the required skills in their fields the space and the opportunity to succeed. And then really interestingly, throughout the, the documentary, SpaceX, you know, nearly failed multiple times, yeah. both technically and financially. And then the documentary ends when they're starting to just do their first crewed flights. So they're starting to test with actual astronauts on, on board their rockets. And the genuine sense of responsibility and empathy that he had for not just the crews of these rockets, but their families. I left that, having watched this documentary for an hour ago, what an inspirational leader. That's exactly hitting it smack bang in the middle. So, so it's so interesting. Which is a very different perspective to that that I have of Elon Musk as CEO of X. 
Well, but I, and I want to go back to your your statement about inspirational leader, and I'm, I I agree entirely with your point, but I want to juxtapose that with a statement that says the way you described it implied he was there all the time and he was willing them on and he was he was he was in the meeting where they brainstorm or something to get wrong. Occam's razor tell us that simply cannot be true. Yes. He's been involved in all these businesses. There's not enough hours in the day. And in yeah. fact, there's lots yeah. of evidence that he focused on one thing at a time. So that actually what we're talking about is a style of inspirational leadership. Yeah. Rather than necessarily, and there's evidence that perhaps decries that as well, um, hands-on leadership, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, going back to my point about it's interesting to think about the narrative of him. I read an article and it stated, it's hard not to think of well-known visionary leaders of the 21st century. Steve Jobs, Sheryl Sandberg, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey. However, there's no denying that Elon Musk deserves a spot near the top of the most effective leaders. And I thought, wait, 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 what? Okay. Who wrote that? You, oh, I didn't write that down. I don't actually. know, but most of those are tech entrepreneurs. They are. And it was, and, and of course. They're all what, American. What we haven't talked about as well is, of course, Elon Musk is the tech entrepreneur sort of. Poster child. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very specific type of leader. We don't, yes. we don't talk about the head of Nokia like this. No. And obviously yeah. not for the same reason, but that's interesting. But I. But that was so interesting to me that it that that Elon Musk has already been declared by many as a success, and and this idea that it was like he's an effective leader, is there a conflation of the outcomes have been successful, but but causation is not correlation, and so that was interesting. But here's here's the first quote: a former Tesla manager talking to Business Insider said he's highly intelligent. He's already 10 steps ahead of you. You have to think 10 times more audacious than he does to be able to succeed. I feel like I'm 10 times smarter than now when I first joined. And that was a different. Sort yeah. Of mix those again, two. it's interesting because it doesn't matter whether he is 10 steps ahead of you or not. If people in the company believe it and it is driving them to think harder, work harder, be more audacious, take more risks, then it's having the influence. You... And this comes back to, I made this point about US generals. And I, you know, a bit like you know, you're saying, Elon, he's, he's involved in so many projects, he can't be on-site, hands-on leader. There's a point where military leadership, and we've just done our episode with Waitman, talking about junior leadership, junior officers, you know, in armoured vehicles or commanding squads and platoons you are hands-on, you are living with the team, you can't hide anything, you're there, you're doing it, you, and, and, and often when we talk about leadership, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, it's, you know, lead by example, live and breathe the values that you want people around you to, 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 to do, so you espouse the traits. There is a point where, as a military commander, the organisations you, as you step up and promote, you get bigger and bigger and bigger, until, as I've said before, as a general, your job is, you know, you're, you're actually hands-on leading your staff, which is probably a handful of people, but you're inspirationally leading the whole yeah. organisation. And we underestimate the power that, the power and influence you have through your bearings, through your, but 
you it does subtly change how you are. And I think this idea that you spin a narrative, you know, General Petraeus has this sleep four hours a night, he runs 10k every morning without fail, he reads eight books a week, or you know, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Every American soldier that worked under him believed it. And, and that, wants to be and like wants him. wants to be like him. And it gave them the faith and the confidence that he was on top of it. It feels very similar. If people are saying these kind of things, then whether he is 10 steps ahead, and, and he can't be, of course, he, in, you know, in all of the different things he's doing, he's not a mechanical engineer. He's not a rocket scientist. He's not you know, a cybernetics genius. Well, he might be. I don't know. But he can't be all of these things yeah. because they are all lifetime of work and practice. I'm disappointed because you've clearly read the notes I wrote where I've written, he clearly sets the bar high. And exactly as you said, you know, you put a footballer in the Premier League and they will typically play the best football of their life. And it's not that they, it, it's when you put them in that situation, it brings the best out of people. I was having a very similar conversation with some of my team recently, which is at a conceptual level, our team can only influence the things we can touch. Yeah. And I believe that's not true. I believe that we indirectly touch other teams. When Elon Musk sets the bar high, he is having that indirect effect to do the same with other people in the organization but it's interesting you've got to tell the story or allow the story to be told to set the bar high so there's something there um it, i there was another article which described him as transformational there was an article by i did write this down uh cat bugard i better i apologize cat i'm sure i pronounced your name wrong um she she talked about sort of what kind of leader he was and she described it as a transformation. Is she a former employee? She's not. She's journalist a journalist or, writing right. about him. So she talked about big ideas, massive transformation, high risk, high return, and often outrageous. I think a lot of this, in simple terms, comes down to how, how does he get to make progress on these things? These are all really interesting things. He is an interesting person. Yeah. These are things, missions that people would want to follow. Big ideas. Who wants to say, I want to do the same thing we did yesterday for the next 10 years? Lots of businesses, we're going to make 3% increases. Not interesting. I'm gonna, we're going to go to Mars. Your children will talk about the work you did. Yeah. Um, high risk, high return. And typically, when your leader is outrageous... Everyone loves a bit of outrage. And, and anyone saying, well, that's clearly not true, Chris. So Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, a core part of what they did was said outrageous things. And they're smart people. Yeah. They know they're saying outrageous things. And everyone loves it because everyone loves somebody's interesting stuff. And interestingly, all have generated a style that basically is, I'm slightly disheveled and messy. And... I don't know whether that's coincidental or a correlation. Um, the the fact know. that they have all curated these stuff is very can, deliberate. It, it's it's interesting because it implies I am so focused on my mission, the idea that I would dress up to look good doesn't matter to me. Yes. And that's either a very calculating, clever approach, or it is because 
you literally don't care about anything. No, else. I, I think this is a. I think this is a calculator. I think. I don't think brilliant. it is with. I don't think it is with Elon. Really, I do not. I, you, I, I look into that guy's eyes and I think he literally calculates the things he cares about versus the things he doesn't care about. Right. We'll we'll mention this and, later. And his image, his. I don't think he gives a shit about his image. His narrative. It's... His, you know, okay. um, he he can get the most beautiful girls in the world because he's Elon Musk and he has 232 billion. He does not have to dress smartly to do that. Because Boris Johnson does. Yeah, he famously, you know, if there's a reporter nearby, will you know, shake his hair up yeah. and before, yeah. you know, untuck his shirt before. See, this is this, we're gonna we're gonna touch on this later about good and bad about Elon. I admire that. That I believe, rightly or wrongly, he is so focused on the mission. It's a genuine. It's a genuine. Yeah. I don't care about these other things. What? How inspirational is that? That says yeah. that there is, in a sense, it in one way, it's a lack of ego. Yeah, which is obviously ridiculous because in another way, there's I'm thinking about ego. yeah, we talked about Steve Jobs's polo net shirts, and and it was oh that I bet yeah. was absolutely and the, and the idea there was you know I always wear the same thing so I don't have to worry and think about it because I've got I, better things to think about. I bet that was calculated. I it bet is absolutely part of the brand. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, Cat uh, went on to talk about some things which I thought were really a nice way to hang this out. So first thing she talked about. Elon Musk is innovative, which is a dreadful word. But, quote from Elon, other advice I would give is to not blindly follow trends. Question and challenge the status quo. Make sure you understand the fundamental principles of what you're trying to do before you get into the details. Otherwise, you could be building on faulty ground. Yeah. Really solid leadership advice yeah and I, I don't blindly follow you know um who was it which said uh oh who was it now this was was this de gaulle who said um don't be don't be constrained um make changes based on operational realities i think this was his point about the yeah, yeah. line yes it was and yeah, he yeah, was yeah, saying was. that's nonsense yeah you, you're you need to change your tactics and your strategy based on the world yes um, but it's interesting because that you absolutely see that with Tesla. You absolutely see that with SpaceX, the boring company. What's his brain interface company? Neuralink. Neuralink. I don't see it with the buying of Twitter. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're gonna we're gonna have to come back at the end and talk about what we we think about Twitter. So, one of his colleagues said, "Most of us can't conceive of these things working. He can't conceive of it failing. Period." That was Jim Cantrell, the first engineer at SpaceX. Just my own personal thing for that was he started launching the Falcons, the Falcons, isn't it? That yeah. land back on. Yeah. So these are the booster rockets for the main payload. Yeah. And historically, you would have these booster rockets that fall into the sea and they'd throw them away. Well, they'd sink and do yeah. whatever. And that costs 10 million a booster or whatever the number is. And he said, we should reuse these boosters. And so the way we're going to do them is they're going to fly back and they're going to land vertically. And I remember he'd done this before. And of course it was, these are just even thinking about this is bonkers. There are some launches where you can land the booster back at Cape Canaveral, which is where they took off from. And there are other trajectories where there isn't enough fuel to land them back at Cape Canaveral. So he said, well, we'll make a barge and they'll land on the barge. What? 
Yeah. They'd done this. And I remember lots of photographs, lots of videos of these things crashing. Yeah. And this is this iterative approach we'll talk about later. But I remember vividly the first time he launched two. This rocket had two boosters and both the boosters landing at the same yeah, time on the barge on a, on a pad. Yeah. Actually, this was the Cape Canaveral on a right. pad like 100 meters from each other. And it was the most astounding thing. These two rockets just appear like a science fiction movie and, and say there's a person who while others can't conceive of it working he can't conceive of it failing so there while there are many uses of the word innovation i object to for their fluffiness and rubbish i'll i think we should let him have that one about being innovative in I, terms of we're gonna have the rockets i think he's go. innovative i'll take that next one inspiring and i think yeah as we talk about these there's a few that bubble up inspiring has got to be got to be close up there again quote from elon the problem is that a lot of big companies process becomes a substitute for thinking you're encouraged to behave like a little gear in a complex machine frankly it allows you to keep people who aren't that smart and who aren't that creative okay interesting that's probably not the best uh, quote to go with inspiring but really fascinating of how he thinks about how do I get the best out of my people? But it's not the best out of my people. It's how do I get the best from the resource? Because he's already talking about, you know, I want to get rid of the average people. I want to get rid of, I want to let the people who've got ideas flourish and get rid of them. There's a a lot of this, by the way. I mean, just just, we'll reach out and do Twitter. He got rid of half the workforce. Yeah. Just got rid of half the workforce. And he said, not only did he get rid of half the workforce, he then sent an email that said, you're going to have to work three times, like literally yeah. twice as hard. And if you're not interested, go. So, yes, his relationship to his team are, they are, we were talking about this with with Mary Brazier about um, how the RAF wanted to support his air crew during the Second World War, not necessarily because of the morality of it, but because they were resources that needed to be They were really expensive and difficult. And I think, I think there's there's an element there, which yeah. is all the more, how do you get people that sacrifice themselves from him when he is telegraphing, I will happily sacrifice each and every one of you when the moment is right? And I, I think we had this with Steve Jobs, didn't we? Because we, we got to the point where we said, you know, some of these are traits that are clearly successful in very particular ways but they're absolutely not what we would want to see in you know a middle manager or see routinely in ceos there's there's something about seeing the workforce as a commodity that is absolutely distasteful but if you're going for moonshot perhaps that's where the rest of us mere mortals who have you know, this kind of idea about leadership being the balance of the team, the task and the individuals. For him, it's about the task. It is about the task. And and he doesn't care for the team. He cares about having the right team for the task. I, I would agree. And I think that's what the evidence suggests. Yeah. I mean, and and, and the, here's the philosophical point. And again, I it's... Every time we drift and we get focused on Elon Musk, I don't want people listening to just think this is about Elon Musk. This is about all teams. This is about all businesses 
Elon just happens to be this very, very yeah. interesting and extrapolated example. Well, I wonder how the, many, how many, and I think we said this when we did the Steve Jobs episode, how many failed Elons, how many failed Steve Jobs there are, because nine times out of ten or 99 times out of 100, this approach is absolutely the wrong way. Isn't that, isn't that the key? If Elon Musk had failed and SpaceX had gone bust, there's a fair chance people would say, let's all talk about this bloke called Elon Musk. Look at all his traits, the same traits we're talking yeah. about through a slightly different lens. This yeah. was the source of the destruction. And yeah. so you can, you can take the same things that everyone claims this is why he's successful. And with a slightly sliding door moment, you'd say, and that is why, ladies and gentlemen, you must never be like Elon Musk. Yeah. It's fascinating. The, the philosophical question that I started to think about was what is the price you're willing to pay for success yes and i i had a a similar conversation when i went through the intermediate command and staff college we had to do a whole project on command and leadership and we had to choose a great leader and it didn't have to be a military leader but because it was command and staff college for the military people tended to pick military or political leaders. And I picked Vladimir Putin. Now, this was back in 2015. So he had invaded the Donbass, taken Crimea, you know, laid his cards on the table, but obviously this is pre-invasion of Ukraine. And I effectively laid out why, if you look at it through the lens of what Vladimir Putin wants to achieve, very successful leader. If you look at it through the lens of your average you know, Russian citizen, you can argue that he's a terrible leader. If you look at it through the lens of the world order and international geopolitics, he's a terrible leader. And so it becomes this question of how do you judge success? And, and, and I ended up having to give a, a sort of hour presentation on command and leadership, which basically became this philosophical debate about you know, judging success well you know we've got a, a really modern example of that which is donald trump has said i am great friends with kim jong-un <laughs> i'm great friends with president xi in fact he then goes on to say president xi is amazing he rules with a rod of iron and command 1.5 billion people and half the room is going, oh my God. that is an abhorrent Ugh. thing to say. Yeah. And the other half of the room are cheering, going, woohoo, subjugating yeah. 1.5 billion people. That's what we want our leaders to do. That's and powerful. so it's interesting. Yeah. G getting back to Elon. So the, 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 the quote was, frankly, it allows you to keep people who, it allows you to get rid of the people who aren't that smart or aren't that creative. Yeah. Creativity comes up again. I'm, I, I think that's my kind of little hobby horse of, you know, the word woke, why that's actually a good thing, empathy. Um, but creativity, I, I think it's changing now, but for many years, creativity was fluffy. Yeah. This is Elon Musk saying creativity gets us to Mars. So I think that's good. Yeah, um, I, I think it's intertwined with uh, innovation. I think you can't be innovative of course. if well, you're not creative because... As he said, if you're following the trends, if you're just doing what's happened before, then all you end up doing is doing what came before better, whereas actually what 
SpaceX has done, what Elon is trying to do with a lot of his projects and what we've talked about before, actually what we want to get after is a better way of doing things. Yeah. Well, I, I like it from a product management perspective. My job is to go and look at the problem and then think about the solution. And I know that sounds sort of slightly trivial or even too easy, but the reality is most people don't think about the problem and think of an original way to solve that problem. But in fact, in my world, one of the biggest sins is you go to the customer and say, tell us how you want it to work. Yeah. And the customer then, not because they're bad people, tells you because they've always done it that way, we should do it a bit more like that way, but maybe a bit better and a bit faster. Whereas a good product manager will say, tell me all about your problem because I might be able to think of a revolutionary way that solves a problem in a way you would never imagined. So I've got 10 steps in my process. If you did this, you'd make it eight. What if we made all the steps go away? What if you didn't have to do anything? Yeah. That, that's a really good example. So we've in many podcasts before talked about our old friend Mission Command and the idea of exactly that. You know, it's not what do I need to do? It's what do I need to achieve? And there are many ways to potentially do it. And the the value of Mission Command is that when the circumstances are dynamic and changing and potentially complex and ambiguous and all of that good stuff, the person at the top of the organisation doesn't control everything. Is there any evidence that Elon Musk and a lot of his success is as a result of allowing people the leverage the the space to make mistakes to explore new ideas to the things he's espousing there about creativity about innovation about changing the rules how much is he looking for other people within his organization to come up with ideas and how much is he looking for other people to enact the ideas that he's come up with you've you've got ahead of me a quote from elon musk on psychological safety this is a great phrase failure is an option here he's quoted as saying if things are not failing you are not innovative enough. So this idea of mission command, psychological safety, he's big on. Good. Lots of current employees and former admit that working for Musk is rigorous and demanding, yet many point to it as being a formative experience in their careers. And I read that and thought, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Uh, yeah, he made me work. I couldn't eat. I couldn't go home and see my family, but it was great. Was it great? I don't know. But that what that does talk about is there is a man who can instill a belief in a common mission. He is saying, I want you to sacrifice yourself for this mission. And there is a queue of people saying, I would like to sacrifice everything to participate in your mission, Elon Musk. There's, there's an interesting parallel with the military, which is ask a soldier to dig a trench and they'll bitch and moan about it because digging a trench is hard it's miserable ask a soldier to go and do a recce patrol overnight they're not sleeping they're out in the elements they're cold they're wet it's they're carrying heavy heavy packs it's difficult work they'll bitch and they'll moan about it people being tired uncomfortable miserable it's not fun and yet it's the soldiers that do that repeatedly and do it with an obvious purpose, getting towards the goal. It's preparation to go on operations. It's developing new tactics. It's, those are the soldiers. They stay in the longest. 
the retention rates are higher. They're the soldiers that exceed on command courses. They're the soldiers that volunteer for things. It's the soldiers that are in units where they spend half the day sitting around waiting for a commander to say, you can all go because there's nothing to do. That after three years go, this is boring. This is boring. But, but, you, but I think there's a difference with what you've said. That is because the military values and cares for those people. Another quote from Fast Company. An engineer might spend nine months working 100 hours a week on something because Musk has pushed him to do that. And then out of nowhere, Musk will change his mind and scrap the project. That's not the same. No, that's, that's not, not same. good. That's there's there's a difference there. Um, Musk is ambitious. Quote from Musk. I always have optimism, but I'm realistic. It was not with the expectation of great success that I started Tesla or SpaceX. It's just that I thought they were important enough to do anyway. There you go. There's your answer. Yeah. Why is he doing this? Is it because of victory? No. Quote. Well, no, that's not my answer. That's. That's no, that's Elon, his answer. That's Elon Musk. Answer. That's his answer. Um, because which, it was worth doing. Which is the answer he would give whether he was driven by success or not, because it's the right narrative. Yeah. But I don't think that necessarily tells us. I I'm I, I think I'm as you sort of think about it, you get the rhythm of the man. I think he really believes that. I, I think he, I think he, I think he really does. But, but I I think but, what tells us is that he goes for things that are are not surefire success that's true that's true and i i thought as i read that that was great but at what cost people of business yeah. i think the point is i am doing worthy things and so if i lose a few people along the way yeah this is what has to happen when you do worthy things but there you go yeah and that's a that's the beginning of a messiah complex right there isn't it the the commander bring it back to the military the commander that accepts the sacrifice of his or her soldiers for the greater good of the operation is a commander that's lost touch with the I was going to say humanity yeah. and the reality of what you're asking people to do. If you're not sick to the stomach, sleepless, you know, constantly thinking back to those moments, if you're able to do that with because you your self-belief in the mission then there's something slightly wrong the big lesson here is adair's balls because we haven't said that word for a few episodes it's the balance of team task individuals yes. and this seems like a case where it's not the occasional task it seems to be that is a consistent thing so yeah. there's a there's a i think there's a there's both a strength, but yeah. actually inherently a weakness. And again, you come back to the value. And you're right. And there are always going to be times where the task is more important. Of course. It, there are it, times where in a military setting, actually putting people in harm's way for the course. mission is the entirely and, appropriate. And there's thing. times when you say, no, the people are more important. Yeah. No, and, we're and not in, going a, to attack. in a commercial business, there are times where it's just not viable to keep people on and you have to let people go. But if you do that without feeling bad, without reflecting on it, without really struggling to have to make those difficult calls that affect the individuals, then there is a leadership problem and the balance is wrong. And I think it might not manifest itself as a problem in that particular instance, but that's where this idea of the Messiah complex 
potentially creeps in. Well, you also start to ask what, how it impacts things like safety. Yeah. You know, yeah. the whole challenger example was people not questioning. Yeah. And not saying, stop, this is dangerous. Well, I, I think X is a really good example. You can talk about safety in terms of the whole the whole idea that Elon is talking about in Radical Change at X is to protect free speech. But so far, all we've seen is a degrading of the veracity of the information. Well, and now we've we've sort of full circle with a naive, yeah, but it's free speech. So that's interesting. Mm. I'll, I'll, the last couple of last couple of quotes, I think these these bring these thoughts together, and then we'll move on to talk sort of a maybe start to round up. This is from Gwyn Shotwell, President and, and Chief Operating Officer at SpaceX. When Elon says something, you have to pause and not blurt out, well, that's impossible. You zip it, think about it, and find a way to get things done. Um, and, and then she went on to say, I've always felt like my job was to take these ideas and turn them into company goals and make them achievable. There's this idea of he sets the mission, a BHAG, yeah. and actually someone else then has to say, that's really interesting how you've given me the space for permission. How do I now go do that? So yeah. I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, I really like that. Just just touching on this, uh, the obsessive topic we've talked about and and team task and individual uh, um, quote from Elon, work like hell. I mean, you just have to put in 80 to 100 hour weeks every week. This improves the odds of success. Get this. This is great. This shows, I think, the cracks. If other people are putting in a 40-hour week and you're putting in a 100-hour week, then even if you're doing the same thing, you will know that you will achieve in four months what it takes them a year to achieve. And I read that and went, wait, no, that's not true. Yeah. That's bullshit. Um, and I actually started to get quite angry because it's like, yeah, but you burn people out and, and they they stop at the end. They they have to stop. Yeah. You've just you've just used someone up and thrown them out. But actually, never mind that. The mission is important. Yeah. Actually, I don't think that person will do four times as much work. I think at hour sixty, the quality of their work will decrease. And I, hour seventy, by hour hundred, I imagine they're basket cases. I also think it contradicts a few of the other things he said about creativity and innovation, because we know he said about failure, you know, these are not linear paths and there isn't a set amount of you know hours that it takes to, to get, to get from A to B. You have to learn and develop. And these are, yeah, they're complex cultural problems. Even if you're looking to develop a, a way of landing a, you know, so a, a why, booster, why is which he... is a, on the face of it, it's a technical challenge. Yeah. The vast majority of this challenge is bringing people together and working around managerial, cultural, leadership challenges of communication. So this idea that we'll just work harder and it, it's linear, it, that feels very kind of 19th century kind of workhouse yeah, kind is. of ideas. And that seems to be opposed to his here's, previous conversations why about I think he does psychological safety. Here's why I think he does this, because I think that's how he's wired. Yeah. So this is this is not about, are we all wired? Like, this is how he's wired. When he purchased Twitter, 
there are stories of him for a month sleeping on a oh, cot he did. He did, yeah. in a server room and working 100 hour weeks yeah so i think there is a there is a person who doesn't understand leadership as well as maybe he thought he did yeah okay because you do this that's not what necessarily has anyone said whether you're giving the best results did you make good decisions when you do this? I thought that was fantastic. So the same, the same guy spent four months living in the server room, who, who by the way, is worth two hundred thirty-two billion dollars. That seems like a criminal weight. The but, only person who can solve this problem is a Mr. Elon Musk. But I he's think. the same guy who effectively alienated a large chunk of X's revenue. Was this by any chance when he told the advertisers? Uh, who were resistant to advertising on X because the quality had gone down and they were worried about their brands. Was this when he told them, fuck you, yes. if you don't? Yeah, it's an interesting point. And I, I do wonder... So it doesn't whether... matter how hard you work, doesn't matter how austere your conditions are, your decision-making can still be flawed. Well, this is a great transition to... I bet there are still people saying, well, that's all great, but, you know, you're, you're all just being a bit sort of hard on him you're not as you know you're two idiots yeah. doing a podcast on a sunday night in a i mean that's true well that is true i don't think he is a template for great leadership and i and i no. i know i know how this is going to sound ridiculous because 232 billion speaks for itself as a human being there are lots of things that you might argue are not great he allegedly subjected a spacex flight attendant to sexual harassment in 2016 and the documents indicate that once the flight attendant refused, Musk retaliated by reducing his shifts. And um, it was really interesting. There was a it, this was an article where uh, within an HR publication, and while they didn't make a big thing about that being morally repugnant, the HR person said, "Damn it, this is a distraction. <laughs> this is <laughs> it's it, it's like telling the advertisers, fuck you. Yeah, don't do this crap. You yeah. know, you, we, yeah. don't, we don't have time to do this." Um, there was a, a a very short but interesting article by Jim Carroll, and it, the title of the article was "Beware the Idiot Savant." Yes. Uh, their hubris blinds them to their failure, and and the article was pretty simple and didn't go much more detail. But I thought that was such a great thing that brings us back to the side of Twitter. Actually, has he got to the point where he thinks I am a genius? Whatever I think is the right thing to do must be great. He bought. Twitter on a whim, as we mentioned, he fired 4,000 people. I bet there are people that argue, yeah, but it's fine. You know, they didn't need those 4,000 people. I think there are more conspiracy theories, more lies not checked. And as I said earlier, after removing 50% of the business, he told everyone, quote, become extremely hardcore or leave. Wow. Yeah. I have fired half of you. Yeah. I'm happy to fire more of you. I don't know whether you remember this. There was a member of his staff called Harald Torlifsen who didn't know whether he was employed or not. Yeah. And so after a week and a half, after no correspondence with management, he tweeted Musk asking if he was employed. There was a bit of a backwards and forwards. And then Musk made fun of his disability and and his need for accommodations based on disability. Uh, the, the worker in question... Uh, in, Tolly uh, Haraldur uses a wheelchair because of muscular mus dystrophy. Actually, what did the tweet say? Because, you know, it's worth checking. Yeah. The reality, this is the tweet. This is a quote for the tweet. The reality is this guy, brackets, 
who is independently wealthy, did no actual work, claimed as an excuse that he had a disability that prevented him from typing, yet was simultaneously tweeting up a storm. Can't say I have a lot of respect for that. As it happens, Musk then publicly apologised for that when it turned out actually he was wrong. But it was another another instalment in what I think is a growing perception of the companies as a toxic workplace. Yeah. I mean, just mm. look, it's it will I'm sure with every leader it's easy to find that case of a bad day and someone making it bigger. No, this was a public, yeah. petulant, stupid, I'm gonna you know, why was the CEO even answering these things? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's because he doesn't believe in having teams to go do these things for him. Yeah. So um, what what led all of this is it, it the Adair's ball theme comes back time and time again. I don't know how much any of this is about growing his own people. And I, I was reading, we'll do a podcast on this, I know, a little bit later on five dysfunctions of a team. And the thing in that which talks about who is the most important team, is it the executive team? If you're on the executive team, who is your first team? Is it the executive team or the team below you? And the answer is it's the executive team. And there's a statement about, you know, the mission being. And as I was reading this, it was a little bit like, mm. I think we do have a little bit of responsibility that these people that are giving us their time and effort, we should support them. I get it's the business is not to, to continue their careers. That's not the purpose of the business, but it is an equitable exchange. Yeah, there's also quite a large part of that is if you develop your people, it has compounding returns. I agree. Yeah, you know, I think it's Richard Branson who says people often ask what happens if you know, I invest in my people and they leave. You know, his reply to that is, what if I don't invest in them and they stay? And it's it's a trite phrase, but but the point is you get compounding returns. If you care about innovation, if you care about creativity, if you care about psychological safety, you don't behave like this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're coming to the end. Um, he made me question the cost. Actually, originally I'd written the value of success, but actually the real word is the cost of success. What are you willing mm. to pay and is it worth it? He is undeniably innovative. I mean, we'll go back to the beginning. Oh, my God, reusable rockets, cheap electric cars that go faster than supercars, um, you know, um, flamethrowers. We didn't even talk about the flamethrowers <laughs> he built as giveaways yeah. or, or products. He's doing it his way and he's enjoying it. And that's attractive to people. Um, he's not orthodox. In fact, I think he revels in the chaos. I think he loves the chaos to the point where it's destructive, you know telling telling advertisers to f off yeah that's reveling in chaos to the point of destructiveness interestingly there's an interesting point what does he care about mm. i think part of what we've been saying is is twitter the first symptom of actually it's not going it's not going to go the way everyone predicts it's going to go and part of that might be doesn't really care about twitter maybe maybe these other things you won't care about um yeah. Impatient, unable to focus, moving between companies. But weirdly, extremely patient. SpaceX's patience, iteration, all that kind of stuff. I almost think he's daring to be proved wrong, which is a little bit of sort of, who is it who flew too close to the sun? Icarus. Icarus. 
and and like Steve Jobs, I don't know, is he a wonderful or a terrible leader? Maybe somewhere in between. But I just I think about Steve Jobs, who clearly had weaknesses and did some things I didn't like. But I do feel way more positive about Steve Jobs than I do about Elon Musk. It's interesting, isn't it? I've written one word down. In fact, I've written two words down. I'm lying. Paradox and contradiction. Yeah. And all the way through this, there have been moments, flashes of brilliance, and I've gone, that's what we say. You know, we talk about, you know, needing to en encourage people to be creative, to embrace the you know, let people fail the psychological you know, but and even even more just have like a that, vision how many you know? leaders say that out loud yes not many so he's right yeah. on the like the bleeding edge of that's great leadership yeah and, and then, then and then there's the bits where you're like that's that's really the worst behavior yeah. the worst traits of toxic leadership and and again it comes down to you know this idea of success and i i think whilst we are two people in South Oxford to kind of on a Sunday night just trying to work out a person that we've never met from several articles and tweets and, and stuff. There is definitely a there is a a trend that comes out which says he cares deeply about the vision. He cares deeply about what he cares deeply about and everything else can go hang. And that means that sometimes there are immense focuses of success in this wider maelstrom of chaos and i suspect that is elon musk's life i think it is as well and i, I, I i'm gonna last two things is what do i love and what do i hate but just before that i wrote three things down who's there to tell him he's an idiot you and i you bet, yeah, and you're right. But but who is it that's yeah, standing next to him? Yeah. Every leader needs a person to say, yes. "Don't be a dick." Yeah. Would he listen? And does he care? Because I think, yeah, yeah. someone could tell him you're being a dick, and he'd go, "I don't care." Well, I think lots of people do on X or Twitter. I mean, he relishes it. He relishes it. Um, and and the bit that was, I think, the bit that puts us in context, because you could easily say, "Oh my God." No one's there to tell him he's an idiot. He doesn't care. He's a terrible person. It comes back to this thing, which is throughout leadership, what are his goals and motivations? Yeah. Well, I think they're very clear. They're around his mission. Yeah. That's what he cares about. So we're very clear. So what do I love? There is no politics. There is no guile. He oh, looks in the know. eye. I think there is politics, and I think there's more and more politics creeping in. Well, and I think well that's, that, dangerous that's possible, but I think I think... He is going to tell you what he wants to do. Yes. He's going to tell you there's no, well, I'd like you to, no, he's doing that. I don't think he cares whether people like him or not. He's driven right. by the mission. Yeah. He takes innovation and creativity really seriously. He is Mr. Behag. I, I mean, it's funny. If we went back and re-recorded, we could just talk about Elon Musk and yeah. Behag. Yeah, yeah. Um, inspirational. People beg to work for him. Hell, if if someone phoned me up and said, Elon, listen to your podcast and said, we think you'd be really great at, at, at helping our leaders be better. Yeah. Would I say yeah, maybe? No, you're shaking your head. Good. You're no. a better man than I am. I wouldn't, just to be clear. I would. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm afraid to make a decision. Mission focused. And I like the fact he talks about psychological safety and he's willing to suffer like everyone else. All these things. I love. Yeah. 
And what do I hate? He's a man so concerned about doing the right thing. He doesn't pay bills. He makes people redundant. He fires people. He insults them and allegedly even assaults people. I don't like his demand for 100 hour weeks. I don't like the fact I don't think he at a fundamental level cares about people. Anything else, the fact that that is the only yeah. thing that matters. But if you think that your mission is so important that the people don't matter or that the sacrifice that they're going to make is worth it, then you're in a really dangerous place. I think you are. But here's the twist. And this this is the bit. This is why these episodes and why even if no one listened to them, we would still do them is because you go. I hadn't thought about that. And then I thought maybe I don't dislike the man. Maybe I don't have the courage to be like him and risk so much or risk so much collateral damage. And I that that mm. might that that I don't know whether that sounds silly in business. You need to make the right decisions at the right time. And the mission is really important. I I question whether I would be willing in the military sense to say, you, you and you blogs, run up the hill. And by the way, 99% chance you're not coming back. But anyway, chop, chop, run up the hill, guys. I don't know. And this ties back into the sort of the what's the cost of success and yeah. and how much it's interesting i think if elon musk were here or a supporter of elon he would say you just don't have the guts to do what he does and someone has to and i half of me says that's nonsense and another half of me says if it was my family on the line would i do those things so i don't know there's that's that's my final thought on this which is We've talked about why he's great in some ways and appalling in other ways. Yeah. Actually, though, do we need appalling people to do these I was, things? I was just thinking exactly that, which is, you know, we, we're talking about him as a as a leader, as an influencer, and we're kind of judging him on his ability to lead and command his companies. But perhaps we're looking at it from the wrong lens perhaps actually as an influencer as a leader in the world we need radicals who aren't always the hero they can be the anti-hero but they move that overton window they shake things no, i don't think that's true and they I, get I, people thinking differently about problems this is this is a this is a more of a philosophical question maybe than a leadership question but i i don't want the answer to be yes and and i'm going to give a terrible, terrible Hitler-esque extreme example. Today, people who suffer from exposure and um, fall in the water, there is a chance they can be saved because medical research was done to truly understand the effects of water. You might declare that the, the saving of thousands of people because we better understand is good. And then you say, ah, but that, that experimentation was done in concentration camps on inmates by members of the german navy to understand and then you say so the, the idea that sometimes you have to have people who do that i think that is a slippery slope and it comes uh, yeah the i'm, I'm and not, I, I'm I not sure that's a ridiculously extreme example it is. But, but and... how much are we willing to pay how many people 
would we be willing to have nervous breakdowns and who do we pick to have those nervous breakdowns to get us to Mars? There you go. That's the reasonable question. So, yeah, I mean, firstly, I would say we're sort of shifting the argument there because there are there are stress factors that create these yeah, create people having nervous breakdowns in lots of large organizations. There is bad management, there is bad leadership, there is as an individual, Elon Musk is shifting the Overton window on space travel, on Agreed. use of electric cars, on neuro engineering interface, on, on a whole range of things, on free speech. And whilst he has some what we would consider distasteful traits he's also got some very good traits and we he has discussed those what he is doing is he's making everybody else sit up and go how can we do it better are you are you saying that it is and elon musk is a worthwhile thing even even if the cost is high um yeah I, how I much are you willing to pay well, to I, shift I, the Everton window yeah i think we've got to be careful about saying the cost is high i think we've highlighted some bad traits and we've highlighted some good traits yeah he's not going around the world deliberately being disruptive to the point where the end goal is the disruption and the uh the negative effects on his employees these are potentially consequences of his behavior but there are lots of positive consequences of his behavior as well but I think on a macro scale, if you're judging success in more than financial terms, because he's hit that goal, yeah. in more than bringing products to market, because he's hit that goal, if you're judging it in terms of does it make the world a better place, then I would say he probably tips the balance in favour of that argument. Uh, and and time yeah. will tell. And I think history will judge Elon Musk. And perhaps, this is where, perhaps this is where we end it. History will judge Elon Musk, not us, not on his tweets, not on his his petulant outbursts. History will judge him on how he shifted humanity's view on some fundamental issues. That's perfect to sort of bring it back to the day to day, which is every business has decisions to make about how they go about doing business and how they go about doing the mission. I think we have a slight difference of opinion where Elon is on this, which actually represents these things are really difficult. Actually, that is a decision for every business to say, how do we wish to go about things? Is the mission so important that actually nothing else matters? I think that's a conversation that will leave for the philosophers. Uh, and no doubt the next Goal Hanger podcast, the rest is philosophy uh, than us. All right. Well, look, thank you. That was another. Hopefully what we didn't do was just trot out a bunch of facts about Elon Musk. And hopefully the conversation was interesting. And as I say, we really, really want you to think about what this means for you in your world, whether that's the military or business and take those you know, some really fantastic things that Elon does and some bad things. And the, the the key thing about this influencer and the podcast is it's not about whether these people are good and bad, even though we use those terms a lot. It's about how can I be better? Yeah. Which of the good things can I accentuate? And which of the bad things can I can I sort of avoid? Avoid. Yeah. Because the mission is still important, but my take is 
imagine if there was an Elon Musk with all the good bits of Elon Musk and half of the bad bits were replaced by more good bits. Imagine how much more successful they could be. That's really the trick. We hilariously, we are on Twitter <laughs> battling, sorry, X. We're on X battling with biz with a Z. Please let us know, you know, what you think of this, whether it's interesting. Uh, for those of you who still use email, battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. Like and subscribe, as they say, and please uh, leave your reviews. That really helps spread the word. Otherwise, thank you for joining us at this Influencers and talking about Elon Musk. Hope you've enjoyed it, Gareth. That was another good one for me, I thought. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I cool. enjoyed that. Look forward to the next one. Fantastic. Goodbye. Bye-bye.